Our scripture reading today is from Acts chapter 1, verse 21 through 26. And our message today is entitled, The Book of Acts, The the Office of Apostle. This is the Lord's word. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us, but become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. The book of Acts is one of the most exciting, exciting books in all the Bible. We see a turn in redemptive history. And we see many, many miraculous signs. We see people being healed on the spot. We see the apostles speak with such authority. The Spirit uses those words to bring repentance and faith to masses amount of people. The book of Acts, when we read it as, as Christians, we, we hearken back and we ask the question, why doesn't the Holy Spirit work like that now? Why can't we visibly see what the apostles saw during this early stage of the Christian church? And we long for those days where it is apparent that the Spirit is working today. The book of Acts is special because it comes at a point of redemptive history that is very unique. And we have to understand the historical context of the whole Bible in order to understand why God is doing what he is doing at this very point, at this very junction in the book of Acts. The entire Old Testament, after the fall of humanity, after Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord, the question that people had was, will God show his face to creation again? Will God show his face to Adam and Eve once again and to their progeny? For at that moment when Adam and Eve sinned, God saw that they had become like him, knowing good and evil. But God's grace and God's mercy began at the garden by expelling them. That they, do, that they would not eat from the fruit, the tree of, of life. 
and therefore by eating from the tree of life, live in the state of damnation forever and ever. But they were kicked out for their own good. Until the time would come and God in his perfect plan would bring about redemption of his people. So all the way from Genesis, all the way to the end, until the coming of Christ, the covenants that, that God would make with his people, the way that God would relate to the nation of Israel and also to the nations around them through Israel, were all a sign to show us about God's power, God's grace, and God's desire to redeem his people. And we wait until God in his perfect timing reveals to all of humanity what his plan would be. At the end of the Old Testament, God stopped speaking. When the last prophet spoke, people wondered for about 400 years, would God speak again? People wondered, has redemptive history stopped? Is the Old Testament all that we have? Is the Hebrew Bible all that God has given to the people to know who he is and how to worship him and how to serve him. You can imagine there's a great time of darkness, a great time of, of blindness for all of Israel knew that there were prophecies yet to be fulfilled. And then one day, a babe was heard crying in Bethlehem. And when that baby cried its first cry, God had spoken again. The birth of Jesus and his ministry the way he loved people, the way he spoke about the kingdom of God coming and entering into our world today. To know that all of the Old Testament will be fulfilled in this man named Jesus of Nazareth. Everyone was confused, but Jesus persisted. teaching day and night that the kingdom of God was about him, about, the, about repentance of sin, and about glory in him. I remember the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And then we get to the beginning of the book of Acts, where Jesus appears to them and teaches them. For two weeks, what a great retreat that would have been. Two weeks. About everything that he had already taught them 
in his ministry with them. But this time, remember, things began to click. That's what that meant. When Jesus said to us when he was ministering, when we were ministering with him about the kingdom of God coming, that's what he meant. That's what he meant when he said that he had to die and, and, and rise again. That's what he meant. That's what he meant, that these signs point to a greater reality of the forgiveness of sins. That's what he meant. It was clear as day. It's like for, for many of us, when people say to you, you know, that you know, when you go to college, right? When you go to college, everything changes. Or when you get married, everything changes. When you have a kid, everything changes. And you know it here. But it's not to experience it. That you go back and you go, everything that mom and dad said was right. <laughs> and the apostles experienced that. Everything that Jesus said was true. And it is true. This complex, this redemptive historical complex of Jesus, his, his coming, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. This is all one event with different parts because they all relate to Christ and who he is and what he has done. This is the nexus upon which we as a church has been born. This is the fulfillment of the old. Everything funnels into Christ. And then from Christ into the book of Acts, everything funnels back out. And the power of Jesus and the power of the Spirit, the power of God is just unleashed upon the world. And the book of Acts describes beginnings of the church and Jesus' power through the Spirit. It's a beautiful, beautiful moment in history. And it's a moment of history that belongs to you. You who know Jesus, this is your history. You who know Christ, this is your identity. You who know Christ, these are your forefathers, your foremothers. These are your ancestors. These are the people that you belong to. You are the new Israel. You are the church. This history is your history. And so when we enter into the book of Acts, we see that this is talking about me and what God has done for the people before me. People often ask the question, is the book of Acts prescriptive or descriptive? In other words, is it simply describing the history of the church? And we're supposed to just sort of understand and go, okay, that's what God did. Or is it prescriptive? Where we read the book of Acts and say, everything that occurred there must occur the same way today. Answers a little bit of both. Answers a little bit of both. Because anything that's descriptive 
helps us to understand who we are, where we came from. Helps us to understand how God acts in history. Helps us to understand how we as sinful creatures, God dealt with us in love and grace and mercy. But it's also, we also have to know that there are some prescriptions in there as well to tell us how we should live. And here in this passage, we get a little bit of both. But more so than anything else, we have a description of how God has inaugurated the church. All right. Setting is, we're all here together. The setting has been, the setting has been set. Jesus was with them for two weeks. He tells them, go to Jerusalem. Wait there. The Spirit will come down and empower you to go to, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, there's only 11 of them. And last week, we learned that Judas Iscariot, who had betrayed Jesus, had, had, had committed suicide, had, had died. So 11 apostles. Now, you might wonder, well, 11 is still a good number. <laughs> You know, we, we've, unfortunately and sadly, we, we lost one of our, our own. But we still have 11. We can go and do what God has called us to do. But to fulfill all the scripture and to fulfill the expectations of Jerusalem and Samaria, the ends of the earth as well, they knew that they had to pick one more person to replace Judas so that they would have, once again, 12 apostles. Now, we're not into numerology. 12 is not some kind of special number. We're not into numerology, thinking that we need 12 stones to, to, to I don't know, to, to make some magic or something. But the number 7 and 12 is very special in Scripture because those numbers represent completeness and fulfillment. And this was important for the people of the day to understand that, that God, in all that He does, fulfills and completes all things. How many days are there in a week? There are seven days in a week. How many tribes of Israel? There are 12 tribes in Israel. Jesus did two miracles in the Gospels where he multiplied the bread from the heavens. The first time in, um, before the Jewish nation, how many bread baskets were left over? 12 bread baskets to fulfill that Jesus can feed all of Israel. Then he went to the Gentile lands. So he did the same thing. Seven baskets were left over, signifying once again what? That God and Jesus can fulfill and satisfy all the nations. And so they knew that to go forth and to preach the gospel in a way that the world can understand of the completeness of God and the fulfillment of God's purposes, 
They need to, to replace Judas. And they put forward two people. And what's interesting about the office of apostleship is that it had requirements. Now we as Christian, modern Christian people, especially in today's day and age, we don't like offices. We don't like requirements. Especially for anything for churchy or spiritual things. We, we want to be able to come and go as we please. We want to be able to, to lead or to sing or to, to do anything in the body of Christ without having to be examined in any way. We think that spirituality is something that is deeply personal. That it's nobody's business. That the highest duty of Christianity is simply to share our heart. And that's all that we need to do. Just converse about anything that you would like. And that whoever wanted to lead, just raise your hand and you lead. This reminds me of my college days when I would go to Quaker meetings. If you've ever been to a Quaker meeting, you go to the Quaker house. I forget what it's called, but the house. And I've been there like three or four times because I went to a Quaker school. Quaker school. And you sit there. There's about 60 people. We're just sitting there. And whoever wanted to speak would just stand up and speak. And you could say anything you wanted to say. And then you would sit back down. And the next person would stand up and sit back down. And that was their worship. You know, coming from a Korean church background, that was kind of, kind of strange to me, totally egalitarian, whereas the Korean church, everything's really top down. But for them, their idea of spirituality, and this is a sad about Quakerism, turn from worshiping Christ to worshiping one another. But we see here from the very beginning of the church that God established offices, just like he did in the Old Testament, the prophet, the priest, and the king. Here the requirements to be an apostle in verse 22, that this person must have been with them from the very beginning, from the baptism of John until the resurrection of Christ. In other words, they, have, they would have had to be with Jesus in person, recognizing all that Christ has done. They might have, they most likely have been part of the 70 who went out doing miracles as well and healing people as well. But people who have, someone who had experienced the teachings of Christ, the love of Christ, who've been sent out by Jesus and experienced the power of the kingdom of heaven, who was with them learning from Jesus in, during his time before he ascended as well, after his resurrection. And with these requirements, it came down to these two men. And during that period of time, they would cast lots. 
roll the dice, however you want to put it. Because in a sense, when you have two good choices, you just have to pick one. And the lot fell on Matthias. The apostleship, the office of apostleship was now complete. Twelve apostles to go forward. All they needed to do was wait until the Spirit came upon them. Now this is important. Names and titles are very important to all of us. I mean, you just look at LinkedIn and you see people's titles and Half the titles, I don't understand what they mean, to be quite honest. But churches have titles as well, and they're important. They're not used to lord over other people, but they're used to identify the roles and responsibilities that people in the church have, and it's very important. Today, there are people who will call themselves apostles. I'm not going to name ministries here. You can go online if you want and search out apostle. Uh, I shouldn't give away too much. Just search up to apostle today, churches. And there are people who call themselves apostles. Now, some of them are benign. They're just taking that moniker as apostle rather than pastor or reverend. But there are others who call themselves apostle, believing that they have the same power and authority as the 12. Now, why is this dangerous? You see, the office of apostle is a special office that Jesus himself put forward in order to explain all the things that happened in, the, in his resurrection and ascension. But we know later on when we read the pastoral epistles, when, when Paul comes into the scene and you read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Paul is looking forward to the second generation of the church, that Paul never tells the churches, raise for yourself other apostles. Never. Never. But Paul says, raise for yourself officers of deacons and elders. Things are starting to switch. Why is the, uh, the office of apostleship so special? We'll see as we go through uh, the book of Acts, and I encourage you to go and say what makes this special, but let me give you a preview. Let me give you a preview. One, they had power to cast out demons unconditionally. What that means is if Peter went to a demon and said, come out, the demon has to come out. That's authority. They had authority in word. 
when they would stand and preach and speak, it was as if it was the very words of God. If they wanted to heal, they could heal, and that person would be healed. It is authority and power given by Christ to the apostles. But power not for the sake of power. But it is power in order to codify. Power in order for the people to know that God's kingdom, that Christ's coming, that Christ's presence is real. We do not look to the miracles itself for God's kingdom. The miracles point us to Christ and our relationship and our need for our relationship with him. So if we take that and we'll unpack that as we go through Acts, you can see how people of today want to take up that moniker apostle to say, when I speak, I speak the very words of God. Why is that dangerous? We believe today, at at this juncture of redemptive history, after apostles have passed away, that the only authority that we have to understand who God's will is Scripture and nothing else. The purpose of the apostles was the fact that the new church had no idea what was going on. They only had the Old Testament. That's all they had. Everything was new. But Jesus taught the apostles. The apostles taught the new churches. The apostles wrote down what was happening. And what was written down became the scriptures that we have today. And these scriptures are what informs us authoritatively, ministerially, who Jesus is and who we are and how we ought to live in the light of what Christ has done. No one, no one can speak ex cathedra. No one can speak the very words of God today. Anyone who says that, as Paul says in Galatians, may they be an anathema. For your conscience should only be bound by the Spirit, and by God's Word. Second and third, healing, casting out demons. The way the apostles did is very different from today. There is not one person who unequivocally can say, I'm going to heal this person or I'm going to cast out this demon and it happens. However, God tells us to pray. God tells us to invoke the name of Christ. But not with the same authority as an apostle simply as authority as those who are living 
in the light of the Spirit today as the Church of Christ. These apostles that God has called, these twelve, were to go out to the ends of the earth, starting with Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to preach the gospel of Christ above all else. And this is my final point. People will look at the title of apostle and they really do think about these three things. They think about powerful men. But the power of these apostles resided only in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And their message was the same as Jesus' message as well. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You see, even for the apostles, the main thing was not the miracles. The main thing was always Jesus. And all the miracles were there simply to point us back to Christ himself. That's the descriptive aspect and the prescriptive aspect. For us, it's the same thing. It is the gospel of Jesus that changes us, that you are loved by him, that your sins cannot separate you from the love of God, that whatever you're going through right now at this moment, you go back to scripture, go back and read, and God will comfort you with his words. Go and share the news with all the world that Jesus has risen. Be convinced that that is what people need. Because Jesus is the main thing. A former professor uh, who is one of my heroes uh, said it this way. If we look at the Gospel of John, the word for miracles is the word that we get the that we get the English word semiotics from, which means sign. And Jesus did many signs and wonders, or miracles, as the synoptic gospels would say. And he said this: He said, if you're driving down the highway and you saw a sign that said McDonald's. Bear with me, none of you eat McDonald's anymore, I know that. But you're going down the street, and you see a sign that says, McDonald's. How many of you would actually stop by the sign and expect to find McDonald's right there? That would be kind of, if you saw a bunch of cars parked under this big billboard that said McDonald's five miles down the road, you would say this, this person doesn't really understand the function of signs. 
the sign points to the reality that there's a McDonald's five, down, five miles down. And there you can get your Big Mac. It's the same for us. We don't chase signs. No matter how wonderful they may look. But we look to the reality that it points to. Jesus loves you. He knows you. And he loves you. He knows your past, your present, and your future. He loves you. Come to him. Rest in him. For no one, no one else can save but him alone. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy. Surely there is no one like you. But we confess, Lord, that we are people who chase signs. We are people who want to make sure, Lord, that all things and our lives are put into place. We are a people, Lord, who find comfort in all the wrong places. We seek comfort far above purpose and meaning. But you, Jesus, you promise us meaning, relationship, mercy, love, and peace. And yes, we will have burdens in this world, but those burdens are easily carried by you when we seek your face. So help us, Lord, as your people to chase you, knowing that you desire to be caught. And let us, Lord, embrace you and rejoice in knowing that you have always loved us and you always will. In Christ's name we pray, amen.